Good day, everybody. Welcome back to the channel. Today is the first edition of our question and answer, episode one, and it's going to be both on our YouTube channel and on our podcast. So we've got a bunch of questions that were user submitted, viewer submitted, listener submitted, and um, plenty more than I've got time for today, but we'll uh, focus in on just a few. And so the first one is, uh, by Eugene, who asks, I realize that hospital-grade receptacles are required in specific healthcare locations. Where in the code do I find the requirement that they have a green dot on the receptacle face? Okay, so what Eugene is talking about here is if you've got a hospital-grade receptacle, there is a green dot on the receptacle face and some other markings as well. It's a fairly robust receptacle. If you've got your heart-lung machine plugged in, you, you want to be sure that it's going to go all right. So what does, what does that entail? First of all, great question, because sometimes there are things that we encounter out in the field, and then we look in the code book, and it's like, you don't know where to look. And if you look in Article 517, healthcare facilities, you're going to find that it references hospital-grade receptacles several times. So just as an example, in 517.18, B2, it says that all receptacles shall be listed hospital-grade and shall be so identified. And that's, that's all it says. So what about the green dot? Well, that's not there. That's not there. So we have to remember that the code is one aspect of the electrical installation. There are also equipment and product standards. Receptacles in the U.S. are listed to a product standard called UL-498. It's the standard for attachment plugs and receptacles, and also for straight blade receptacles of 15 and 20 ampere hospital grade receptacles. They're contained in there. And in that standard, it says that the receptacle shall include the phrase hospital grade or hosp grade appearing on the back of the receptacle, and that's only visible during installation, right? And then a green dot located on the face, visible after installation with a cover plate secured as intended. So that's the wording out of the equipment standard. Um, UL also offers a listing for a special locking type receptacle, rated 20 amps, 125, 250 volt. And the identification is rather similar. It's marked hospital grade. Actually, it's marked hospital grade only with no green dot appearing on the face. This is not something you're accidentally going to plug something into. I'll, I'll see, I'll scurry around if I can find one and I'll, you know, I'll put a, a picture of it on the screen. But it is a, a kind of a bayonet style that's specific uh, to that type of receptacle. It inserts, it's spring-loaded, and then you click it into place. So it's not something you're going to have kicking around. It's certainly not something you're going to find at your average Home Depot. Now, when I researched this question, I fell down a pretty deep rabbit hole of receptacle standards, listing, development, and that whole thing is worth its own episode in the future. I will, however, link to a good article by Thomas Dimitrovich, and this is in the IAI magazine a while back, about 10 years ago, September, October 2013. It's well worth your read if you're interested in the kind of nitty-gritty of what the different grades of receptacles are and what their intended purpose and their intended use is. There is a related question. Here it is. By Steve F. 
is there a right or a wrong way for the ground to face on a 120-volt receptacle? All right, that's that's been a, a matter of debate. Let me grab one here, All right? So the question is, is this right <laughs> or is that right? So let me assure you that the short answer is no. No matter what kind of search results your favorite search engine brings up, there is no right or wrong way. And anyone claiming such, well, they're, they're really expressing their own personal opinion. The NEC, the National Electrical Code, does not specify a direction for the ground. Now, having said that, in many commercial occupancies, it's customary to have the ground facing up, like so. Whereas in residential wiring, it's typical to have it facing down. So read your spec book. If there's one that comes specific for the job, make sure that you comply with that. All right, next question. Let's see what we've got. The Cranky Electrician. <laughs> nice name. Uh, hopefully not too cranky. The Cranky Electrician asks, I have a 1500-watt heat fan light combo in a bathroom that I fed with a dedicated 20-amp circuit to supply all the loads in the bathroom. The inspector says that I've put, I have to put the heat fan light on a separate circuit. In my opinion, the circuit is plenty big enough for the load. Okay. I'm going to make an assumption here and I'm going to assume cranky electrician <laughs> that you're wiring in a house and that you have chosen the option to wire the entire bathroom on a dedicated 20 amp circuit, right? So first of all, your, your friendly neighborhood electrical inspector is correct. Let's do some quick math. Okay. So the heat fan light combo, 1500 watts. So at 120 volts, 1500 divided by 120, that's 12 and a half amps. So the reason your inspector is turning down this installation is that the full load current of this unit exceeds 50% of the bathroom branch circuit rating and therefore is not permitted on the required receptacle circuit. So if you're in a dwelling unit, you can use an exception. The exception is in 21011.3c that permits other loads to be supplied from this 20 amp circuit if the circuit only supplies a single bathroom. However, the reference that your inspector is probably going for is 210.23A2. And here it limits the load of utilization equipment that's fastened in place, right? Your ceiling bathroom fan heat light combo that's fastened in place, secured, to 50% of the ampere rating of the branch circuit. And so had drawn 10 amps or less, you would have been fine. But your heater is just a little bit too big. So yes, run a dedicated circuit. Okay, I think that answered that one pretty, pretty well. Anonymous. Anonymous asks, where can I find information in the National Electrical Code detailing requirements for sealing a conduit that passes from an ambient temperature or from ambient temperature rooms into a refrigerated room? The inspector says that condensation will form inside the raceway unless sealed. Okay. So that one is encountered quite a bit in restaurants and, uh, and places like that where you've got, you know, warm temperature out in the, the hall, the kitchen, et cetera. But then you might have a, um, a walk-in freezer, walk-in fridge. So your inspector is absolutely right. 
but let's uh, let's take this apart just a little bit. Okay, so NEC300.7a requires the following: where portions of a raceway are subjected to different temperatures, which could lead to condensation forming, where that's known to be a problem, the raceway must be filled with an approved material to prevent the circulation of warm air to a colder section of the raceway. Like I said, that's typical of walk-in fridges and freezers, but it also applies in other places, right? It applies at, for example, a service or feeder raceway where it enters from outside to the inside of a structure. Maybe you've got a two-inch PVC conduit coming in underneath the mobile home, popping up, and then it pops up into the electrical panel. Now, notice that it calls for a seal, not a seal-off. Right? So that's a different thing. This, this here would be a seal-off. So you're not required to make this explosion-proof. So what are they asking for? Well, duct seal or electrical sealing putty is approved for that purpose. So that's, that's all they're asking for. So you might come up you know, from the outside light switch up to an LB and poke in. You can put some duct seal inside of the LB. All right, I think we have time for one more here. Sparky for hire writes, are watts and volt amps the same thing? I sometimes see the same type of calculation with one or the other, so I, I've always assumed that they are. Okay, well, Sparky for hire, the answer is not a straight yes or no. Uh, I'm going to try to answer this as simply as possible without getting too deep into, into the details. And I'll also give you a link to a video that if you need the details, they're, they're available. So let me start off by saying this. For all DC, direct current circuits, and all purely resistive AC circuits, yes, watts and volt amps are the same thing. However, in alternating current circuits, AC circuits, where there are magnetic fields and other electrostatic fields that interact with the wiring system, their volt amps describes the total amount of energy that we put into the system, right? Volts times amps. So that's what we have to contribute to the circuit. And often this is called apparent power. Now in those circuits, watts then describes the total amount of energy that becomes useful work, right? That's useful to us and that's often labeled real power. So just as an example, a motor or transformer has some losses converting the electrical energy to a magnetic field and then doing some work with those magnetic fields. And they are absolutely necessary to make the system work. But often they are called losses because they're lost as reactive power in the circuit. They're just there to grease the wheels and make it work. Um, perhaps you've come across the term power factor. Power factor is simply the ratio between true power versus apparent power, right? Or power factor is watts divided by volt amperes. Now back to your question. Does it matter in a load calculation in the NEC? Well, you'll notice that the NEC uses volt amps or volt VA in all calculations. You can take a brief look at Annex D at the end of the codebook, and you'll see a bunch of sample calculations. And it always uses volt amperes because that will reflect the true amount of current, which in turn dictates your conductor size. However, 
The NEC will often tell you to treat watts equivalent to volt amperes in a calculation. One such example is in 220.55 for range and other cooking equipment loads. And there it says treat them as the same thing. Now, the next question is, do you need to lose sleep over it? Well, hopefully not. <laughs> you will find that the NEC builds a little bit of fudge factor in to accommodate for less than 100% power factor. Uh, take a look, for example, at Chapter 9, Table 9, where it gives ohm values for conductors and various installations. And when you scoot towards the right edge of that table, you'll notice in the column headings, a little right of center, where it says effective Z or effective impedance at 0.85 or 85% power factor. I'll link to a short YouTube tutorial on power factor, and I'll show up here somewhere, that I made a few years ago, and I hope you find that useful. Well, thank you so much for all your submissions for our kickoff Q&A. Uh, like I said, I do have a bunch more questions to answer. Uh, there were a good number that were dealing with AFCI and GFCI protection, shared neutrals within those circuits and, and those sorts of things. And we'll get to those in the next Q&A. I uh, want to be able to have the right resources to point to when I talk about you know, the question, answer the question. And I want to give the best possible answer that I can without mudding up the waters. So please keep on submitting questions and in due course, they will make it onto the channel. Take care, be kind, stay safe, and we'll see you next time.